Clinker Factor, the cement industry podcast. Welcome to the Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement and concrete industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA, and your host on the Clinker Factor. So today I'm talking to Herb Burton, who's the general manager of Central Concrete, a subsidiary of US Concrete and one of the largest producers of concrete in the US. And US Concrete have been doing a a, a lot of interesting things in terms of of looking at how we can reduce the carbon footprint of of concrete. So Herb, uh, welcome. Uh, Can you start by giving us a brief introduction uh, to yourself and, and, and how you ended up in the concrete industry. Yeah, my name's Herb Burton. I'm the Regional Vice President and General Manager for U.S. Concrete. Uh, I've been with U.S. Concrete since it was founded in 1999. I got into the ready-mix business like most people that I know of in the ready-mix business here in California. As my grandfather was in the ready-mix business, my uncles were in the ready-mix business. And so uh, when I got out of the military in 1995, I entered into the ready-mix business and been doing it ever since. Uh, it's an exciting business. I, we really find it to be a, a business with a lot of opportunities and a lot of challenges every day. So it keeps it exciting. Yeah, and in, uh, in California, we, we hear a lot uh, about the uh, zero carbon pledges from tech companies and California having a, a different policy from the rest of the US in terms of, uh, of climate change and, and uh, uh, yeah, sustainability more generally. Uh, so what, what are you seeing in terms of, of demand for low or, or zero carbon concrete? What we're seeing now is a, a, a very steep ramp up in demand. Uh, a few years ago, going back two to five years ago, it was a low carbon was nice to have if it didn't impact cost. It was really cost driven. If you could do a lower carbon version and still meet the construction schedule, you could, you know, obviously owners and architects would entertain low carbon. Now, what we're seeing is it's going from nice to have to absolutely have to have. And uh, the demand's coming from um, owners, architects, engineers, and and regulators, state regulators, all looking at this. And what you're seeing is a um, a push to find the lowest uh, carbon materials in, in the built environment. And it's it's really being driven by uh, a lot of different factors. But now they're starting to set benchmarks and specifications for carbon uh, percent reductions, uh, minimum replacements of cement, cement maximums. Uh, there's a lot of different ways it's being specified. Uh, and a lot of that's being driven out of the SE 2050. It's a pledge uh, that structural engineering firms in our market have signed on to to uh, reduce the uh, embodied carbon in the built environment and have a path to uh, net zero embodied carbon in structural systems by 2050. So with these different pledges and uh, more progressive owners in the market, especially in California with, with high tech, high tech is uh, very progressive and they like to push the sustainability side. You're, you're just seeing a, a big push now and, and really a lot of people asking the question, how do we do this? How do we do this and still build a safe building uh, within our budget and within our schedule? So it's been, it's been really exciting. Uh, it, the momentum, I would say, in the last two, three, beer, uh, three years has been remarkable. The momentum has really picked up. And are you seeing that, that some of the customers, at least, are willing to pay a premium for a lower carbon product? We're still seeing, uh, you know, obviously uh, construction costs uh, in California, labor and a lot of different factors. Are, and then entitlement of projects is very expensive. So you still see cost as a factor. But yes, people are starting to say, you know, all things being equal, I'm going to pick low carbon. But even if you're within a certain range, 
uh, and you can help us meet our goal, our overall goals, we're going to entertain a, you know, a premium in that. But it really depends. It's project specific and it's project to project. And, and that's being driven by the owners and how, how progressive their overall goals are. Yeah, so I, I wondered um, if you have a, a tech company who's uh, committed to zero carbon, then presumably they're going to offset the carbon footprint of something they build. So uh, if you can reduce the embodied carbon in the building, then you can also save them money in terms of the cost of their offsets. Is that something that factors into the logic in, in terms of how they think about that? It, it does. Um, you know, companies, um, I'll use LinkedIn, for example, they've been uh, very, very progressive in uh, trying to offset. As a matter of fact, Microsoft, who, who's the parent of LinkedIn, is, has been very, very vocal about getting going back to zero, but then also being carbon negative to reduce all the carbon that they've created since the inception of the company. So uh, a company like that, yes, that they want to factor in as much low carbon in the building as they can, because they're working to offset their previous carbon impacts along with getting to zero. So a company like that, yes, you see a very progressive uh, approach and they'll, they'll ask their design teams, the engineering firms and all of their suppliers to be, to participate in that and to really uh, collaborate. And that's one of the things that the ReadyMix uh, company has never had a chance to do before is collaborate in the design phase. We're usually really at the very end when the job's being bid and it's usually, hey, here's the spec, bid to that spec. We don't want to do anything different but the spec and, and you do that. And what we're seeing now um, and what we're really excited about is the fact that we can get in the room while the project's being designed and titled and start having these conversations and start working on solutions. So when the specification comes out, it's geared towards a level playing field in the carbon space. They, they want everybody to try to get to the lowest carbon and we're able to help in those designs when we can get involved early. We can be a big, uh, a, a big asset to them, you know, and that's what we try to do is just provide, you know, solutions. We don't really go in there and try to sell our company per se. Yes, it's U.S. Concrete and Central Concrete trying to, um, you know, establish themselves at the table, but it's not, you know, we're trying to get ourselves specced in and, and create an uncompetitive bid environment. It's more about, you um, Here's all these different solutions within the building code. We use, we don't use uh, gimmicks, um, you know, different like that. What we try to say is here's, here's your spec. Here's the carbon impact of that. If we submitted the mixed designs per your specification, this, this is the carbon impact of that. And um, here's what you can do if you were able to make some allowances within your specification that would still meet the structural requirements and the durability and all of those things. But if you were able to work more towards performance, we'll show them what, the potential could be with today's technology. So it's like a three tier, we call it a project profile. And we work with architects and engineers to show them how their spec compares to the national averages, how their spec compares to what's out there in the market with other you know, buildings and different things. And then lastly, um, what it could be with today's technology while still meeting the current building codes. We don't work outside of the building codes. Um, Obviously, there's a risk in building and engineers and architects, you know, their reputation and their liability is on the line. So we try to point towards established building code um, methodologies, but using the most progressive ways to do that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I th think that's a, a very interesting topic because obviously, the quite rightly, the building codes are pretty conservative. We, we don't want our buildings falling down. Um, but at the same time, it, it also limits what, what can be done. So in terms of how you design your, your concrete mixes, what, what kinds of things are you able to do to reduce the carbon footprint of, of the concrete? 
Well, there's multiple factors. Uh, one of them is with supplementary cementitious materials. Obviously, that's the, the easiest go-to. There's established materials out there, such as fly ash, slag, silica fume, metacalin, different products that you can use to reduce the total, the total cement in the mix. Uh, the total cementitious may remain the same, but you can reduce the percentage of that cement. Um, using um, high-performance aggregates that um, have a higher strength factor, PSI per pound, that allows you to also reduce uh, cement in the mix design. And then um, also using new technologies like uh, recycled CO2, like with Carbon Cure. And then one of them we look at that, I don't know if everybody looks at is we look at our standard deviation and our overall production quality. And if we can lower our standard deviations, the building code allows us then to lower over design, which then we can, we can reduce cement that way. So there's multiple ways to skin the cat. And, and I think every product in one of the things you have to realize when you're making concrete is it's very localized. Aggregates in certain markets are very different. So what could be done in San Francisco may not be able to be done in Bakersfield, California, but that doesn't mean they can't do low carbon. They just have to work around the, the material sets they have to achieve these goals. And um, that takes research um, and it does take some effort to um, understand your local materials and educate the design community that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It really is project-specific, and it does take collaboration with the local to understand the local supply chains. So, uh, in in addition to the um, the, the cementitious, the aggregates, are, are there other things that uh, you you've thought about? I mean, I I see that in uh, the UK market, we've um, had uh, some concrete that's been made with uh, geopolymer uh, solution. Is, is that something that's being looked at in in, in your market? Yes, and we've done research with activated slag and using um, geopolymers and activated, you know, activating materials uh, to do zero cement concrete. We've done it. Um, some of those methodologies uh, are not scalable. We found in our market, and what I mean by that is, you know, um, the the finishers and the people, you know, putting in the the activators and different things need to be trained because some of them have are caustic. We know, you know, vapors that are maybe hazardous, or how you finish and, and place that concrete can be very different. So yeah, it's possible. Um, the, the problem we run into so far is, is scalable. Scalability and economies of scale have been a challenge for that type of material. Very promising and exciting. I know in, in Australia, there was a runway done with no cement. So there's stuff going on all over the world trying to do different things. Um, it really comes down to, is it scalable in your market? And is it feasible to meet your safety standards in your construction? And um, is there building code and structural elements and durability factors that you can meet in a structure that's being designed the last 50 to 100 years. You know, those are the things that you have to take into account. Um, we like to keep it as simple as possible because when we can engage and we aren't asking to, uh, firms to make a huge leap to something they're not comfortable with, and we can work within the current building codes and the current materials that are available, uh, there's an ease on getting that conversation going in, in a comfort level because we're not, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel with them. We're just saying, have you looked, it's the same thing, but have you looked at it from this angle? And that approach seems to create better buy-in and better collaboration because it's coming from a safer place in the sense that, that you know, their risk is, their risk profile is mitigated uh, tremendously when they can use uh, standard you know, materials in, in a different way and still achieve the same results. So do you, um, do you see a difference with public bodies uh, like uh, the airports or, or, or railways or, or, or road authorities in, in terms of a, a willingness to try, to try different things, uh, to, to, for example, to try uh, something that might be outside the standards because they have a different sort of risk profile? 
with the state agencies, uh, they're much more conservative, so they will take uh, more steps to research and prove out. Um, for instance, uh, Caltrans, which is the state agency that does the, the Department of Transportation, handles all the roads and bridges and infrastructure that way, they're going to be approving this year Type 1L cement, a C595 cement. It was never approved in the state of California, so without it being approved by the state, um, it's hard to drive it commercially because most ready-mix plants aren't set up to carry multiple cement products. So they're limited on capacities. And, you know, although there's a lot more, you know, vertically integrated multinational companies or larger publicly traded companies in the space, there's still a, a large amount of, uh, you know, single plant operators or, you know, two or three plant operator, and they're doing the same work we are. So they just don't have the capacity to do some of those things. So, they won't switch and they won't carry a separate cement to do state work and try to do something different commercially because it's low carbon. So it really, the state specifications really drive the acceptance of new products into the market. If the state of California approves it on roads and bridges, then you'll see it become widely used. Um, I fully expect type one L cement to be the cement of choice in California once um, it's in the DOT specification because it eliminate that barrier is now broken. The, now a, a cement a concrete producer can carry that one cement and meet all the project, you know, all the project specifications that they may come across. And um, in a ready-mix plant, you can have like, you know, for us, you know, we have 10,000 mixed designs. So you're using the same set of ingredients to make many different combinations. So it's, it's, um, it's really critical that the playing with stuff that you can use in all different forms, whether it's, uh, you know, Oshpod, which is this, you know, dams and hospitals, or DSA, which is the schools, you know, and then you have Caltrans, which is our roads and bridges. So in California, those three agencies accepting something, and usually the Caltrans one drives those. Once they're accepting of them, then you can use that for anything. And it, it doesn't move as fast as we would like, but we under, understandably so. There's a public safety thing here. We would like to see better collaboration at the federal level. Like while Caltrans is doing their study, 1L Cement was already accepted by 35 other DOTs in, state, in the United States. But yet, because of the localized markets and the localized materials and the localized soil conditions and everything else, each state is very conservative and wants to do their own testing, which makes sense, but it does slow the process down because of that, that collaboration isn't like if it's okay in Colorado, it doesn't automatically make it okay in California. So we, we run into that. And that's, that's a challenge when you're trying to advance. At the speed of things are advancing now, our industry just does not have the, the capacity to advance as fast. We want to, but we have trouble getting there. So, so if you if you look forward at the uh, future prospects for you know low carbon or zero carbon concrete, other than the standards and you, you know the uh, natural conservatism of, of the various regulators, what are, what are the other things that concern you or that you think will be limiting uh, to the development of the market? I think getting these newer technologies to market um, so that they can start working on economies of scale. You know. Um, there was a company that was making cement from CO2 called Calera in California. And, you know, what hurt them is, you know, it, it was a very expensive ton of cement. Um, it was a, made from carbon. It was a recycled cement and it performed very well, but it was expensive to make. We need projects to pilot it and start doing it so then we can work on everything gets better if we can do it at scale. If we can start doing it consistently and not on a batch process, then you can do more. And that's the challenge. There's a lot of great new technologies out there. Um, I'm sure you've talked to a bunch. Carbon Cures One, you know, uh, Blue Planet's doing aggregate coated from CO2. And then they're also making aggregate, pure limestone aggregate from CO2. Uh, and then all these are very exciting. But getting them out there, getting people to say, yes, we want to use it, being willing to pay that extra premium at first to help the 
help it get to market. Uh, and that takes a collaboration from owners and designers and from the vendors that are making the material and the producers to willingness to use them. And you realize there's so many stakeholders involved to be successful. Uh, just because U.S. Concrete has an idea and wants to go do it, we still need customers that will do it and use it and get their product, you know, get the finished product they desire and meet their schedule. We need designers and architects who are willing to spec it. And we need vendors that can have a supply chain to supply it. There's a lot of pieces there. And if you're not considering each one of those along the way, it creates a lot of challenges when you're trying to do something innovative or new. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff coming out. Uh, our research lab based in um, San Jose, California, which is ran by Alana Gazetta, we get to see a lot of new stuff coming out all the time. Uh, because of our desire to do it and us being vocal about low carbon, uh, a lot of opportunities come our way for us to look at. So we get to touch it and play with it in that lab and, and really vet it out. Um, and we take this, we take that very seriously. We don't want to create undue risk for our clients. So, you know, like with Carbon Cure, we vetted it ourselves for almost a year before we went live with it. But now we're using it in 10 facilities and hundreds of thousands of yards very successfully. But, you know, we like to, to really understand the properties before we go out into the production side of it. Yeah, I think, I think that's uh, very critical. And I think the point that you made about these new technologies needing uh, larger uh, demonstration opportunities is, is very important. We've got um, examples of uh, startups that have had a, a small pilot unit that they've been able to make successful in a particular location. And uh, we need to find other opportunities, uh, other geographies where the economics work well enough that we can get started to, with uh, proving some of these technologies. And I think that's a challenge for the whole industry uh, worldwide. And uh, I hope that some of the people listening will uh, take me up on, on uh, this challenge and, and, and try and find uh, opportunities to pilot new technologies. And we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see um, large, uh, whether it be cement multinationals or um, aggregate multinational companies, and starting to say, you know what, the world's going this way. And they're starting to invest in these small startups um, rather than the startups trying to, you know, hoe the road alone. They're getting to plug into uh, larger investments. I know Mitsubishi has an arm that invests in um, new technologies uh, and they kind of like venture capital funding. They're, they're trying to help these new technologies get to market to, to help drive these things uh, forward and push them forward. And, 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 you know, money talks, these guys need sponsors. They need sponsors to help them to invest in them and, and seeing companies like, you know, Knife River recently invested in Blue Planet. Uh, that was a public announcement and seeing these, you know, more traditional ready mix and aggregate material supply companies starting to invest in these newer technologies and partner with these startups is, is very exciting because that's what they need. That little kick in that deep industry knowledge. Some of these startups have an idea, but they don't actually have the real world industry knowledge and getting married up with a large company like that that's willing to help them will get them to scale much quicker. And you'll see a much, a much rapid uptake now of these technologies, I think, in the future. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see that more than just research, academia, but now you're seeing, you know, the, the commercial sectors investing in these ideas uh, and, and realizing it's necessary. It's necessary that new technology is going to have to come into, into the space if we're going to meet these aggressive, aggressive goals that are being set out there today. Yeah, and I think that uh, um, in the concrete uh, uh, part of the, the industry, you're seeing the uh, demand for this a little bit more direct. You know, your, your customers are, and their customers are are asking for greener products and, and lower carbon products. Is, the, is this a, a way you think that um, 
that concrete companies will accelerate that, or do you think it's going to be uh, uh, reliant on on the cement majors to uh, uh, to push that forward? I think the cement majors are going to have to be a, a partner in this. Portland Cement, you know, it, it does get uh, you know a bad rap, right? You hear about it, and, and rightfully, it's energy intensive. It's very energy intensive when to make it, and 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 that's fine, but you're not going to build a bridge across uh, the bay in San Francisco without concrete. You're not going to build a high rise in a downtown without concrete. It's uh, necessary. It's what makes industrialized nations, industrialized nations. It brings us into the 21st century when you have infrastructure and those infrastructures depend on concrete. So uh, the cement, the cement majors are trying to do the right thing. They're going to need help, whether it be, you know, subsidizing on the back end, some of these major capital projects to get their plants up to do these new technologies. These plants are built to do make cement one way and, they make it really good that way, and they're they're very productive, and they've gotten better about emissions and all those things uh, through regulation and through uh, you know commitments from these companies. But it still costs a lot of money, and the return on capital has to be there. And so, partnering with the the government, you know, whether at the state, local, or federal level to help drive some of this, there's a lot of good work being done there on creating a low carbon cement standard in the United States. That's coming, and it will happen. Um, there's talk of carbon taxes and different things to help build funding to drive the necessary capital improvements that are gonna be needed. And we have to pay for it. And so it's it's exciting time because the conversation is happening at every level. We're, we're involved in conversations at the federal level, the state level, and at local levels on these opportunities. And the, and the cement companies, they want to do it. They're not in denial of what goes on. It's just, they need a, um, they need a path forward that allows them to do it in a way that keeps them in business while doing it. And, um, you know, because uh, the bill material space is, is inherently not a high, high margin business. It's a, it's a high volume, low margin business. So it, it does need help sometimes to do these major transformational shifts when you're doing, you're talking about shifting how we do it. it it's going to take a lot of different levers, levers to be pulled. And, and particularly difficult since the financial crisis, what, nearly 15 years ago now, um, uh, the profitability of the industry has, has been challenged because of overcapacity and, and, and so forth. That still is an ongoing challenge and, and potentially one, of course, that the, the trend toward uh, lower carbon cement could exacerbate. So it is a big challenge for the cement industry in terms of how to balance the different pressures that uh, we're facing. And I think the biggest thing is, is measurement now. Transparency first. Um, we like EPDs. I know EPDs aren't used all over the world, but in California, we use the EPD system to measure the global warming potential of our products. Uh, we have EPDs on every product we make. We've committed to that many, many years ago. We, we were the first to have EPDs in the nation on a scale that we do. Every mix design we make has an EPD. And what do we do that for? We do that so we can measure, we can set a baseline of what, what is the impact, and then we can build goals around how we reduce that. Without that transparency, and everybody participating in putting their numbers in there. And that's what's been so um, accelerated recently is the EC3 tool. I don't know if you're familiar with the EC3 tool where you can log in and you can look at, compare EPDs of different building products and start making, it helps designers make decisions on how they want to build a structure. Just to, uh, because some, some of our listeners won't be familiar with EPDs. Do you want to just very briefly explain what they are? So an EPD is an environmental product declaration. Um, it is a way to measure the carbon impacts of the products you make and, and, and you declare those and they're a third party verified and they follow uh, what's called a PCR, which is a product category rule uh, for each product. There's a rule set around, you know, how, to, how that's measured and how it's reported. And 
it, it takes into account if you have product specific EPDs in your uh, material, you can take advantage of those lower numbers if they're product specific. But if there's not a product specific EPD, you would use what's called a, the PCR. It's, there, it's the level set, like the baseline level. So for cement, if you can't get an EPD from your supplier, there's a baseline level you would have to use. And what we're finding as we started measuring this is uh, cement producers or ready mix producers just started inputting that based on the regulations within their state, you're going to be much lower than that PCR baseline number, um, which helps, you know, really start driving those numbers down and gets to really what's going on in the market, right? If you're using all those baseline numbers, you don't have a real idea of exactly what's going on in that localized market. EPDs are flawed. They're not perfect because they're cradle to gate. They're not a full life cycle, which, you know, when you're looking at cement and concrete, the full life cycle actually benefits us if we measured it all the way through because concrete can be reused. There's so many different repurposing, reusing in that long service life for the amount of embodied carbon. When you dilute it over all those years, it's, it's, it's a pretty sustainable product on its own. And getting that education out there, but also getting the education out there that if we start measuring this consistently across our industry and everybody participates, we really can start driving the numbers down because you don't know where you're at until you measure. And, um, and just like in anything, if you're a producer, you want to measure your efficiencies in your production process. Um, and it's the same thing with measuring carbon. You need to have a baseline to start from and you have need to have honest conversation of where you really are. So getting all that out there will allow you then to understand if I pull this lever, it's going to have this impact. And you can't do that without a measurement system. So EPDs is widely accepted in the United States. It's what we use. And um, so we've been committed to that process. I'm sure over time, it's going to evolve into something much more like a full life cycle LCA um, and all those different things. But right now, an EPD is, is the best we have. So we try to maximize the use of that tool for in within U.S. concrete's footprint. I think the the acceptance of uh, preferably international standards to um, to measure the concrete uh, carbon footprint, ideally including the reinforcing steel, is, is something that would help to move the move the market forward. And um, you know, standardization is a bit of a boring subject, but you know, it's really critical to getting uh, to getting things done. Well, you have to have the rules of engagement in anything, and the standards do that for us. And yes, it is boring, and it's it's tedious when you're trying to develop them. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth about, well, is, is this measurement being fair to our industry versus an, an, you know, and creating an advantage for another industry? And having said all that, yes, all of that exists. It's some, it may not be 100% fair to each industry, but get in and participate. And then we can start making change because if you're in it, then you can have input on how we make change and move it forward. So I think we, sometimes we just have to accept this is where we are now and this is good enough. And then we can start driving towards better uh, in the future. Uh, but it takes everybody to be willing to participate. And um, it's, not, it's not a perfect system, though. No, no standard is. But an international standard would be better because right now there is the European standards not measured and used, being used in the United States. Canada has a different standard. So when you start doing that, people can cherry pick the standard that suits their product the best. And, and that allows for some... Uh, it allows for some holes in the system that could create, uh, you know, blind spots where people can get, you know, things can happen that may not be um, 100% uh, on the up and up. I think for us, uh, you know, we have seen specifications now starting to come out where they look at global warming potential as part of the design. Uh, San Francisco Airport, everybody talks about that one, but they did a project where part of the bid was you had to state your global warming potential of your products, and they set limits on that. So you had to bid 
to an emission standard, that was one of the specifications rather than just the PSI of the concrete and the water cement ratio and all the standard things we look MOE and all those things. Now you're looking at um, that being a specification that has to be designed to. And it was an exciting project. So we were able to really be aggressive and progressive with, with how we did it. And, and, and the customer uh, at San Francisco airport at the time for their terminal had a very progressive carbon goals. And they wanted to see what could we do together if we all gotten, you know, we all worked together towards it. And it was a great success. And I think there'll be a lot more of those projects in the future. Um, but I think the private sector is going to push it faster than the public sector can. And so we spend most of our time, we do participate in the public sector committees, but we spend a lot of our time collaborating, educating, and working with architects, engineers, and owners, because we find that when we really can listen to them and understand their goals, we can find a way to do that that also meets our contractors' expectations. Because people always think you have to sacrifice something for low carbon, whether it's schedule or cost. And, and that's not necessarily, necessarily if, if you can get everybody in the room and have that talk uh, and get everybody's goals on the table, you may have to play with where the carbon cuts are happening and all those different things, but you can meet the overall goal and meet the schedule. And there's a lot of great new technologies out there to help that, whether it's uh, maturity sensors now, maturity technologies come a long way. Measuring in situ strength rather than using the standard cylinders and test methods and flex beams is a much more accurate way to measure that for product schedule and, and for product schedule and, and construction schedule. The technologies like that, because it's come, you, you know, used to have wires coming out of the slab. Now it's all digital Bluetooth. You can, you know, there's an app to pull the strength right out of the sensor. It's becoming so easy that it's it's a no-brainer. Why aren't we doing these things? Why aren't we looking at the whole thing in every way? This uh, this collaboration is something that we've talked about in the industry for you know twenty years or more, um, and it's it's uh, really good to see that uh, it's actually happening because it clearly has the potential uh, to uh, improve and optimize the the usage of materials. And, and that in its turn will have a, an impact on the carbon footprint. You know, um, I think that every producer can do low carbon concrete. We don't think it's a, uh, it should be thought of as a big shift in a scary word. We think that a lot of people are doing it, don't even know it. I think I would encourage every producer to take a look, measure where they're at, and they may find they have more to offer than they think right now, let alone pulling the levers on the new technology and all of that, that if they just told the story of all the things they're trying to do, that, uh, that they can drive a lot of change in the market and it shouldn't be something that we're, we run from. It's not a, construction's evolved, you know, for the last millennia and we've been building stuff for a long time all over the world and technology has been evolving. It's always gonna evolve. And um, change is not a scary thing with the tech. We have so many ways to measure now. We know more about a yard of concrete we batch now than we've ever had before. We know everything, we can predict what it's gonna do. As soon as it's batched, I can look at that batch ticket and tell you how that concrete is gonna perform. And that's not a huge leap. It's just a rolling your sleeves up, measuring, starting to tell your story and really going out and trying to engage with architects, engineers and owners and spend the time to listen and um, share ideas. There's ReadyMix crews have a lot to offer. They need to try to get upstream and, and, and really get in those rooms um, and, and bring in the cement associations and their cement producers. Um, collaboration is key. And I guess that's, you know, if I was going to end on anything, I would say we need to continue to collaborate and we need to make it Instead of that you know, one off here and there, that needs to be the standard when you build a building. All stakeholders should be in the room and we should be collaborating on that. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. So I think that's a wonderful note to end it on.
I hope. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you, Ian.